What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The following podcast contains explicit language. And now they're making black bots to amp up the bullshit on both sides. Mm -hmm. I saw some guy called at a real black person. Totally convincing, BT dubs. Right? Talking some mess about a white genocide. Dear white people, black folks don't have time for no white genocide. We're exhausted. Hey everyone, I'm Ayesha Harris, and welcome to Represent. So this week, we bring you a conversation with Justin Simeon, the creator of Dear White People, the second season of which just dropped on Netflix. The show, based on Simeon's debut feature film of the same name, centers on several Black undergrads and one white male grad student at the fictional, predominantly white institution, Winchester University, including Sam, a biracial social activist and host of the controversial campus radio show that shares its name with the series, Lionel, a journalism student and introvert, learning the ropes of dating as a young gay kid, and the insecure but determined Coco, who aspires to be one half of a power couple not unlike Barack and Michelle. When season one ended, a student-led protest addressing racial inequalities came to a head, while Lionel publicly exposed the school's wealthiest donors as having secretly funded racist policies both on and off campus. Season two picks up just a couple of weeks after those intense events and deals with the fallout through its main characters while adding some new faces to stir things up even more. Simeon and I recently sat down to talk about his vision for the new season and how he addressed certain critiques from season one. And you might also hear at one point Verilyn say something off mic, so just be aware of that. Check it out. I am very pleased today to say that in the room with us, we have Justin Simeon, the creator of Dear White People, the movie, but also now the Netflix TV show on its second season now. Welcome to Represent, Justin. It's so good to be here. The rumors of our cancellation were uh, (laughs) fake news. (laughs) I I don't even remember there being rumors of cancellation. Apparently, I guess a year was too long to be gone because I I, I got so many tweets like, oh my God, I heard you guys were canceled. like, no. Mm. A bunch of... Like white supremacist robots on Twitter claim to boycott uh, Netflix, but I, I think they're doing fine, and so are we. Yeah. <laughs> so, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was glad to. I mean, I didn't know that there were going to be, there were rumors of it being canceled, but I was glad when it was announced that there is a season two because I really like season one. Me too. <laughs> and so I, I actually want to kind of. Uh, go back to just after season one drops because you did an interview in which you know you said that there you were expecting more people to be upset about the show once Mm, it drops mm -hmm, like obviously mm -hmm. when the first trailer dropped for dear white people oh my god people were insane yeah because that's that's what (laughs) racists do on twitter and facebook um but then you're like i'm a little disappointed that um I didn't get as get trolled as much once oh, the I show broke. Yeah, <laughs> I said that. Well, I was going to ask you if you were like serious or just being facetious. Um, being facetious. Okay. I mean, you know what? I got plenty of think pieces, and I got plenty of um, conversation. I think maybe if anything, because it is Netflix and it all does happen at once, the conversations are all very overlapping. When each episode has so much to unpack, yeah, that yeah. there were certain moments that I was like, oh, I wonder why no one's talking about that more. You know, yeah. like I really was, I got a few comments about it, but for instance, the episode where we focus on Gabe's experience of being a white face in a black place 
in a white in a white space. Yeah. And uh, which I thought, you know, I, I, that's a conversation that like I thought would be interesting to have. But again, like with Netflix, people have these conversations whenever they watch the show. Yeah. And when it first drops, it's so overwhelming that like I can't read everything. It just sort of has to happen. So yeah. I think that may be more of a um, it might just be because we're you know, we stream all at once more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I was going to ask you if you were serious. Um, clearly, it seems like maybe you weren't, or at least um, it wasn't. Uh, you're not disappointed that people no, weren't happy about it. No, I That's was. Good. I was. I was. I was quite pleased with the reaction for sure. By and large, yeah. Good. And even the think pieces that you know tried to take me to task on a couple issues. It's sort of like an honor because when you're telling stories about the Black diaspora, it's, you're so there's so few stories that like. It's part of, it's the price of admission. If you're going to be a black person to tell a story, there's always going to be black people who are like, well, you didn't tell my story. And if you did, you didn't tell it correctly. And I think that that's a part of this process. Because frankly, parody, like 12%, of this of this country equals a lot more shows <laughs> than what are currently on the air. Right. And I think everyone should be able to see themselves in our culture. So I, I get it. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about how you approach season two and how like one of the things that I noticed actually was this season we are seeing not so much. It's obviously called Dear White People, but we're seeing more. Uh, engagement with people who aren't white and who aren't black even mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in particular I don't want to give too much of the plot away for those who when they're listening to it have not watched it yet but um, for things that are not spoilery you have sort of the dear right people um, <laughs> which is the it, it springs up in, in opposition to dear white people Sam's yeah. radio show and the dear right people which is basically an alt-right sort of I don't know Alex Jones right uh, thing where they're complaining about uh, everyone being too quote unquote PC. One of the the uh, the hosts of that show actually appears to be Asian to me yes. or, or not definitely not white. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have um, within an episode that focuses on the queer community and racism within the queer community and and how you know we talk about the difference between a preference and being racist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm curious as to like w- what you, th- what you were thinking about when going into that and discussing these things that are not specifically about uh, the quote unquote, the black experience per se, mm-hmm. but are from um, this position that whiteness, white oppression affects all of us. Yeah. And it seeps its way in everywhere. I think that was actually one of my critiques of the, sh- the season last yeah. year was that like it was, for lack of a better phrase, it was very black and white and there were no other sort of voices coming in. So can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, it's the goal of the show to always find room for the nuances and room to tell more complicated truths. And I think that, like you said, you said it already, it's sort of like, you know, we don't really live in a binary world. I think it's easier for people to think of things as black and white, but that's actually not how it it plays out. There's mm-hmm. a lot of weird gray areas. For instance, uh, this, the whole model minority uh, aspect, um, which I think is actually even more prominent in the Asian community than it is in the black community or other communities. You know, again, like it's a 10 episode show, so we can't get into everything, but I at least wanted to color these moments in as complicated as terms as possible. And now that we've met the characters, the world has been introduced. We sort of get what the show does. Uh, I just thought it was an opportunity to go deeper instead of wider. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, let's not cover more issues. Let's just go deeper into these characters. And 
frankly, I, I think uh, the so-called alt-right, they love putting, you know, people on a platform that aren't white to prove that they're not racist. It's a very common thing. Yeah. And I just thought that that would be, I just thought that would be interesting. And, yeah. and it would leave, especially without explanation, would leave one to wonder, well, how did he get there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was definitely wondering that. Yeah. Especially about the, the Asian kid that I mentioned, or even just... Uh, the the one line that stuck out to me um, was in the 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 episode where um, Lionel goes to the queer writers uh-huh. party, yeah. <laughs> and he starts talking to the other brother in the room, the yep. black guy in the room, mm-hmm. and the black guy is like, "So no shade, but I'm not like into other black guys. Just an FYI. I'm sorry, but like I don't date other black guys. Yeah, and then." I've had so many conversations with my queer, especially queer male friends. It seems uh-huh. more of a male thing, although I'm sure it happens in the the lesbian and 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 female oriented sure. community as well. But like that just was a, an aspect that I feel was we hadn't seen yet in the show, and I yeah. thought it was really interesting. And I would, by the way, like you know, it's so each of these characters honestly could have their own show. Like if we could really get into the complicated intersections of queerness and uh, racial identities, man, we there's so much to talk about. But again, it was like an opportunity to flavor Lionel's world with something that is very honest and true, and uh, certainly something I've always experienced. I mean, one of the things that people don't really talk a lot about is like there isn't really just like there's people need to label feminism as white feminism when they feel like it doesn't include all people the same is true of so-called gay culture when we're talking about gay culture mostly we're talking about white male gay culture mm-hmm. and it's a it's a part of of society that i don't necessarily f- feel all that comfortable or wanted in you know and uh, that that tokenism of i'm the these are my whites and how th- dare there be another black person here taking my shine is so common among like gay cultures that even though we don't describe it in explicit detail i figured people who have been there will know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and even people who haven't been there will at least go like oh wait that's something i never thought about you know yeah. and it, again i'm just always trying to look for those little moments and especially with all of the characters, honestly, but Lionel is the most obvious because I'm also gay and black. Um, you know, I'm telling on myself. Like all of their little awkward experiences are all bits and pieces of me and the writers in the room who are, we're just telling on ourselves. <laughs> like mm-hmm. those little awkward encounters and experiences that don't normally have a place in a story. Mm-hmm. We try to find room for them. I see so much of Lionel and you, and that you've talked about it, and obviously you just mentioned it now, but. Did you were you ever on the other side of that of being like that black guy who was like sorry I don't want to date never no. oh my god like because like look so I think we've all to some extent no, internalized I, some sort of even I get if it's not it explicit, but, no I get yeah. it I I I can't fathom it to yeah. be honest with you you know what it's it's also because I um I have a white partner and I get that a lot the the sort of eye roll assumption that like I'm into white guys or that like I only date white or whatever and honestly it's the same thing that happened when I was a kid where I was like I grew up in a black neighborhood but I was bused to a white school and I was too black with the white kids and I was too for the black kids and it's like uh, you people listen to the way I talk or whatever and they they make these assumptions but you know the truth is is that like I've never been that guy I, I find it really weird uh to sort of like not date 
my own race like i don't uh, listen self-loathing is a motherfucker but i don't have it like that you know what i'm saying like uh in fact in la in particular like i really did try (laughs) y'all i did try but you know more often than not again especially in a city like la which although it certainly has black communities in la and it has a a small black gay community there too um you're still in the context of whiteness wherever you go i mean Mm. there's maybe a black knight (laughs) at a gay club in LA but it's by and large as we're talking about white men Mm. and so you're still within the context of the rules that they've made and that put that creates situations like the one that we described where like yeah sometimes other black guys feel threatened by me because they want to be the one that's fetishized or you know be found exotic um, you know um, among the context of white other white men and so I just, you know, I've always found it to be a really strange quirk of the gay community. I think the gay community can be incredibly racist. And I think that, like, if you're part of any marginalized group, it's so easy to unconsciously pass that on to other groups. I mean, we do it with each other all the time. I mean, colorism is still a rampant issue within the black community. Um, But it's, you know, it's my little way of saying, snap out of it. (laughs) This is crazy. You look crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, it... Honestly, it was the first time I've seen it, the conversation happening amongst my friends a lot. And there have been articles and pieces and, and, you know, bloggers, especially gay people of color who have been very vocal about these Mm -hmm, things. But mm -hmm. I hadn't really seen it articulated in like a dramatic form on any show. Like, I, I don't remember. I only watched like half of looking so i don't even know if that was ever really addressed it was not okay <laughs> uh yes the hbo series that i think it lasted like two or three seasons, it was not but... addressed in looking yeah um, yeah i mean that's what i'm always trying to do is like well what story haven't we told before you know someone we, i was talking about troy and lionel's relationship and why i chose for troy to not be that bothered by Lionel being gay and for them to be better friends and I just felt like both things are things that happen but I haven't seen this story before I haven't seen a good like a like a brother who like is just cool and chill with gay people because that's honestly by and large been my experience I've of course felt homophobia within all kinds of communities but the people who are already in my orbit are not like that Mm -hmm. and they couldn't fathom being like that and so you know, I, I think it is saying something um, in that in, in that way by just just pivoting away from the story that's more often told. I mean, that really is sort of our instinct yeah. uh, when we're making the show. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. To keep going on this idea of the way in which you sort of subconsciously pass all of these um, and internalize these things uh, from other communities and bring them onto ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of one of the running themes of the the season is these flashbacks we see, usually at the beginning of each episode, yeah. um, that's sort of unpacking Winchester University's racist past. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we unpack these things, I saw it in many ways as like, the way in which we as Americans still like everything 
nearly every major law or policy or whatever it can be in some way traced back to slavery. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, or any and other... Reformation, yeah, so-called reformation. All of that stuff. And I saw that happening with what you're doing with Winchester. And can you talk a little bit about, especially the secret society mm-hmm, and, the, mm-hmm. and this idea, um, as Verlin kept reminding me, what is the quote again? Something like movements aren't lost. Oh yeah, movements never die. They just go underground. That's what it was. <laughs> We're yes. trying to remember this before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> movements Move- never die. They just, they go, just underground. go underground. Yes. And so, you know, we have this flashbacks to the secret societies that were formed in Winchester, uh, at Winchester, and the way in which they sort of lay the foundation for the racism that is like happening on campus today. Mm-hmm. Um can you talk, can you unpack a little bit of what you were trying to say about these things? Especially like even, you know, good movements. Not, I don't know, I don't know what's, what is a good movement, but movements that are for progressing. Yeah, pro- I mean, it can be positive. You yeah. know, we're talking about the civil rights era. Everyone, feel, a lot of people really think that like we concluded civil rights at some point. But what happened was Vietnam happened and our leaders were assassinated and everyone got distracted. So it, the movement wasn't, it wasn't like mission accomplished. That never yeah. happened. But it sort of fell out of the public view for a little bit. And, you know, I think... Here's what here's what it is. I'm looking at the landscape today and we're talking about misinformation and we're talking about fake news as if these are new concepts. But the truth is, is America is built on a kind of amnesia that the more and more you dig, the more and more profoundly perplexing it is that we don't really understand our histories and how we get to where, to where we've gotten. The reason why you can look at Black Lives Matter protesters and say, oh, they're just complaining, is because no one taught you how we got here. No one has educated you. You have not bothered to educate yourself the ways in which pathology works and the ways in which um, things are passed down to families. Like if you wipe out a whole generation of fathers and put them behind bars because they have pot on them, that absolutely has ramifications on their kids and then their kids and then their kids and for me the whole secret society of it all was basically because Winchester in my mind is America and you know as much as there are hierarchies there's a great book about this called uh, The Tower and the Square. We yeah. tend to think of history as towers, hierarchies, kings, queens, etc. But in fact, history is built by networks of people. And just because America has stopped talking about certain networks of people, that doesn't mean that they didn't exist, and that doesn't mean that they don't exist now. And so this, I, I wanted to really expand this idea of misinformation and anonymity and fake news and show that we've all that's always been in the DNA of this country and is in fact why it's so difficult to talk about these things because most people don't realize that whiteness is a fairly new concept. Most people, when you think about white and black, you assume, oh, it's always been that way. But the truth is, is before slavery ended in the 1800s, most people referred to where you were from, what country you were from. It was just assumed that different climates produce different skin colors. But this idea that there's a group of people called white which was the beginning of all of this, by the way. It wasn't like there's black and white. It was white. And then it was like all of the people who couldn't get into that group of whiteness were then labeled. And that had a very specific economic objective. When you no longer have slaves, you have to build your country on somebody's back, okay? The history of humanity has not figured that out yet, (laughs) at least by the 1800s. So let's create this thing called whiteness where we get to be American citizens and you guys don't and you have to work for cheap. 
And that's literally where this whole thing came from. And we've forgotten that. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about it. And we don't acknowledge that, you know, it was actually a really small group of white men that decided all of this for us hundreds of years ago. But only a couple hundred years ago. And we don't, why are we still living by the decisions made by a very small group of white men who had no idea, who could not even fathom what this country would become? And so I I think a lot of that is about sort of saying, because Winchester is a placeholder for America, like, now that you've seen the way this works at Winchester, you can only imagine the ways in which it is is operating in American society. And there are networks that you don't even think about. It's like the American presidents that we've had so far, they didn't come from all over, you know what I mean? Like there's a very specific group of people that up until a certain point, the American presidents have all come from. That is not coincidence, you know? Yeah. I'm not saying there's some large Illuminati conspiracy, but these these lineages, they have a lot of control and a lot of power. If your dad's rich, your son's gonna be, it just, that's the way it works, you pass on. That's how we've always worked. So I think, um, you know, the obsession with the past and with secrets uh, is, is really just to get the the viewer to think about things outside of what it just looks like in the present moment. A lot of decisions got us here. That is all very true. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I I think about these things because even though our, our, our um, education system as a general rule is really shitty mm-hmm. um, across it the is. country, and it it's is. not just obviously, you know, people of color get the lower end of the stick, but it's also clearly all of these textbooks that are coming from the same uh like two or three companies are also not teaching the history so white people aren't learning it either right but and the fact that our curriculum really is set by these textbook companies it's not set by any meaningful thoughtful process yeah i mean most (laughs) of the like really meaningful stuff that i learned was in college and that's because i chose to seek correct and find it correct um but like then the question becomes like how do you keep butting ahead like you're going to keep butting against these things because, you know, we can we can have all the pieces between Tanahashi Coates and, and all these other people who are writing these things and saying it over and over again, mm-hmm. saying exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. And yet so many people refuse to listen and right. shut down. Right. Um, I mean, and I see that sort of manifesting itself in your show as well, is that we have all these now that um, and we haven't even said this, but Armstrong Parker, the the dorm, the dorm uh, that is was specifically for some time for people of color only Mm -hmm. has now been integrated in season two yeah and so you're seeing all of this happening you're seeing this exchange of ideas but like things are not coming across they're not melding in a way like how do you i don't know what at what point do we stop trying to tell these things and just like wrestle it away you you know the power for me this is my little way of doing it you know there's a conversation between sam and joelle where Sam is like, why am I doing this? I'm not convincing anybody of anything. And Joelle is like, well, you're doing it for us Mm -hmm. so that we can be restored and we can be refreshed and we can fight another day. And we need these messages just as much as anybody else does. Um, You know, I'm not a policymaker. I'm not a politician. I would consider myself a kind of activist. But first and foremost, I'm a storyteller. And I think the job of storytellers is always to try and reflect back um, 
where we are as human beings in an honest and novel way because it makes little things go off in your head that never would have gone off before. And yeah, maybe the show is only reaching people who are already inclined to be reached by the messages, but that's important too. That's not for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we all need to be armed with this information uh, so that we can enter the world and feel more human. Yeah. You know, like at the end of the day, yes, we have to fight injustice and yes, but also we are human. We are this is going to go on for a while. Let's take a breath. We're not going to stop racism in our lifetimes, but we can in the process not lose ourselves in that conflict. And I think that like if I'm doing my job right, maybe I'll awaken some people that never thought of it that way before. But that's not why I do it. I do it because just just telling the truth the in in my own little weird way through the show there's something about that that's important. You know, like I needed to see Moonlight. I already know about the gay experience. I'm already on board, okay? Mm-hmm. Like I know how oppression works. I know how being on the download, but I needed to see those two little boys on the beach. I needed to see that. I needed to, I didn't even know I needed to see that. I needed to see the, the constant paranoia of being the only black person writ at large in a horror movie and get out. Like I know all of this stuff already, mm-hmm. but I left those experiences feeling more human, feeling seen feeling more powerful, feeling like this thing that I've always thought about that maybe I'm a little crazy is real and other people get it too. That's to me, like if I'm doing that, I'm doing my job. You know, like if I wanted to change policy, I'd be in politics. If I wanted to write essays, I would I would spend my time doing that. But I'm a storyteller and this is the best. This is this is the best way I can contribute to the culture, I think. On on that note of contributing to the culture and you sort of considering yourself to some extent an activist, you know, for the last several years now, you've been really dedicated to this one world, mm-hmm. dear white people, mm-hmm. between the movie and now the show. Yeah, does that ever get exhausting? Of like, course. Yeah, and how do you how do you obviously you love these characters and you get to collaborate with a lot of really great people, but I mean it's. As as someone who this is this podcast is directly about representation, yeah. but even I sometimes am just like I just want to watch something. Well, of watch course, it. like how I mean, when people ask me what I'm watching, you, they're expecting a profound answer. It's like, girl, when I'm making Dear White People, I'm watching The Housewives of Atlanta. Oh, of course, I would and expect I'm, that. And I'm and watching, we see, we yeah, see and, the little strains oh, of it. Oh, you in will there see too. all of it in <laughs> season two if you haven't seen it yet. I'm obsessed. <laughs> um, but then you, but it's like that's another aspect of being human. Like yeah. white people don't get up and act and are activists all day long. Like they. They get to just be human beings, so we should too. You know, like it's it's both. You got to have balance. Like I said, we're not going to solve it in our lifetimes. Let's all just accept that, okay? That doesn't mean that we shouldn't fight, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't push the needle, but we're doing it for our race. Like we're doing it for humanity's sake. For our own sake, for our personal lives, we have to take some space and take some time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What was the original question? I feel like a Housewives happened and I just sort of just <laughs> well, rabbit hole in that direction. Well, I, I see that <laughs> that sort of need. Oh, oh, is it tiresome to be in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. And, and even more so, I think we see that in what Sam is going through this season. You, of, get, you get fatigued. She's so fatigued. But then she's also becoming very 
you know, the first episode, the second episode, she's very um, obsessed yeah. with the trolls. Yes. Like, has, <laughs> has that been you? Like, have you felt oh, like you're God. Like, just They're too by obsessed? the grace of God. I mean, I, I sort of, I had a major moment after the teaser came out and I was like, where are all of these people coming from when we were being attacked for the title? And oh, for people, season one. Yeah, people yeah. saying that I was, uh, you know, uh, instigating a race war or whatever. Like, I was like, where are these people coming from? And you... I, I, you get stuck in this reaction and this cute clapback culture, like, oh my God, my gifts got so bad, they likes. But the truth is, the, that dopamine hit you get from Twitter, man, is a part of the trap. You know? like if you're, the reason why the show is called Dear White People is because black people are always having to be in response to white people. Like, we're always having to explain or defend or fight a position or da 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 da. We're always having to respond. And it's a different kind of oppression. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, it's having to always respond. You know, it's like there are times to respond and there are times to stand up and say something. But like, but, you know, homegirl 78, who's got three followers, who has, you know, a really hollow argument that I can really dig into right now. It may not be the time, child. Like, this may not be the time. And I could spend my whole day talking to this person who may not even be a person. And where has that energy gone? Nowhere productive. Um, Someone described, you know, back to your earlier question, someone described making TV as being beat to death by your own dreams. But it's also like in order to do TV, you have to learn to do what you love when you don't love it. Mm -hmm. And so Dear White People, I tried to just make it as big a playground as possible so we can tell many different stories. But I've got other things to say. You know, I'm shooting a movie this summer uh, about uh, uh, an evil hair weave that is taking over a young girl in the late 80s. Um, And, you know, I, I, I wrote it because... I'm also, you know, in in addition to just the general issues that we talk about it with dear white people, I actually think that black women get the shittiest end of all the sticks because, like, not only do we depend upon them for, um, you know, moments of exoticism in our culture, but also, like, their strength we depend on. Like, I've always depended on black women. I was raised by my mom. My showrunner is a black woman. Like, I've literally always depended on the strength of a black woman, but yet they get treated so horribly because they get it from all ends. And I got really mad about that and I couldn't really talk about that to the extent that I wanted to in Dear White People so I tried to make I decided to make a horror satire because that's how my brain works everybody um <laughs> and so you know I, I I think that yeah I get you know sometimes I get fatigued but also I I love this I love telling stories and even though Dear White People has a very particular point of view it has so many characters in it that like I always get to find a corner that I haven't quite colored in yet mm-hmm. when I'm doing the show. So, yeah. so far, I still got more in me. We'll, we'll see. Talk to me in a couple years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of your collaborators, each episode is directed by someone else. You've directed a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last season you had Barry Jenkins. Um, this season you have Kimberly Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, why am I blanking on who else you had? Uh, uh, Sally Richardson. Sally Richardson. Whitfield. Whitfield. Was, yeah. Um, Kevin Bray, who's done a lot of uh, stuff, including Insecure. Janixa Bravo. Right. And we had Janixa on our show. She's fabulous. Obsessed we, with her. We love her. Um, I mean, how, what goes into, like, how much say do you have in terms of who gets to direct each episode? And is it sort of like trying to match a sensibility, whether it's aesthetic mm-hmm. or um, just personal with each director? Yeah, it's all that. I mean, you know, the, it's a conversation between myself, the network, and the studio. And, uh, and a lot of it is just like that person's not available. Like, Barry just wasn't available this season Mm -hmm. Um, but we had you know Charlie McDowell who did the first season and is the only director so far that I've ever let direct something that I've written uh, by the way
way. Uh, Steven Shishuda, who also did last season. But then, yeah, you know, Kim Pierce came out of obviously like an obsession with her career. Mm-hmm. Janixa, you know, is such an original voice and just such a fabulous person. I mean, a lot of it, these are people that I want to work with, but also people who are not intimidated by the show. I mean, every, you know, I have a very clear point of view as a filmmaker, but in, but I want filmmakers who are comfortable riffing like jazz off of the melody I've created. I don't want anyone to just sort of, you know, paint by numbers or sort of do it the way Justin would do it. I, I want people who sort of, this is what Justin did. Okay, now what's my spin on that? Because mm-hmm. each episode is supposed to be from a specific point of view. Each episode has to feel like its own little mini movie. And, you know, I just try to treat the show like little mini movies. <laughs> And, and, and it, you know, we talk to folks. Um, it comes down to sensibility, but also do they see something in the material that I didn't even think of? Um, and what point of view do they bring? Is there any um, episode in particular that someone else directed where they brought out something that you were like, oh, I didn't. I didn't even think about that. Or, oh, or every episode. New. I mean, you know, every first. I've learned so much from our directors, um, truly. And I, I, this is not lip service. I literally sit back and watch and like, oh my god, what a smart way to do that. Um, I think Kim really uh, pushed us to dig deeper and deeper into Coco's psyche as a woman, not just as a character or as a person who we knew, but like a woman. Like, just what is the physical manifestations of that particular journey? What are the things that she's found? fantasizing about what are the things she's thinking it's like she really pushed us deeper into that character um charlie mcdowell always finds the most surreal ways to tell a lionel story and that's why i could trust nobody else but him with yeah. you know that script that i wrote episode three um but even like sally man that she's a beast okay yeah. sally is a I learned so much from her as a director um, and she, there's a spark and a humor to her and a lightness to her episode that's beautiful there's a surrealism to Steven Shishuda uh, Kevin Br- I mean these are talented people and, and my job is to give them parameters and give them you know we have specific uh, color stories and um, you know there's obviously like a style guide but really to give them permission to play and put their own voice in it I think that just makes my show richer Mm-hmm. I do want to ask you, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I recall, I don't think Trump is mentioned at all by name or explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you sort of Voldemorted him uh, yep. this this sure season. Did. And I'm always <laughs> I'm always incredibly fascinated in the last year and a half since the election happened uh, by the shows that I've chosen to do that mm-hmm. because I think it's very much a statement. Um, at least the shows where you would ostensibly think that they would in some way be referenced, the administration mm-hmm, would, mm-hmm. Would, would in some way be referenced, but they're not. Um, what, like, why, what made you, was that a conscious decision? And yes, so, it was. Why? I felt like if we were going to bring him up, we need to be saying something that someone else has not said. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone said it all. I think he has enough headlines. He's mentioned enough. Yeah. Um, the truth is, is that everything I have to say about him and that presidency are things that I have to say about America and about the systems and networks that are in place that brought that about. Because to me, that is, he is a symptom of a much bigger problem, of a, of a real problem that's always been here. We talk about movements going underground. The same is true for white supremacy. We thought that was over too. I, we, not who, being who, me who or black people, yeah. but like <laughs> the country, yeah. you know, white folks thought it was over. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And so, nope, 
they've still here and they've multiplied y'all they've bred and they they're they're coming back for more and um some of them are from russia and (laughs) it's sort of like um again i was just like i it's so easy to make a trump joke that like who why i'm bored with it like mm-hmm. call me when he's out you know what i'm saying like racism will still be here uh i, I don't want to give him any more credit or any more places in history than he's already got he's already gotten far more than he deserves mm-hmm. so you know I, I just didn't i didn't see the need and we would pitch some really funny stuff in the room but again unless i was saying something that was truly original or new I didn't feel the need to say it. And also, I think spiritually, I was like, maybe he won't be president by the time this comes out. I don't know. (laughs) If you put it out into the world, maybe. We got a few more weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Last couple questions. The first I want to ask is, you know, when, when the first season came out, the world looked, I mean, it looked different but not so much different, but like a lot has happened in the mm-hmm. last year, <laughs> obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything happening now that like wasn't happening when you were making season two that you feel you definitely want to in some way tackle that in season three, should season three happen? I don't know that there's anything happening that we haven't tackled. I feel like, again, it's so odd to write these things in the show and then to wake up and see them happening in real life. Like, I didn't know about the whole Candace Owens, Kanye West thing. Obviously, when we were writing, there's a character that, that you know, I can't really talk about who plays this character, but it's, it's I hope, exciting. And But it's a black character who finds himself as a conservative voice. And uh, again, I'm just trying attempting to tell a truth. I didn't know that this person existed and was out there in the world mm. um so i don't know if there's anything that uh is happening now that i didn't get to talk about but there's always stuff that i didn't get to that i wanted to you know like i wanted a whole episode about rashid's accent like an entire episode i wanted a whole episode about al and like what like let's get into the, the this pairing and like why they're so always like you know pinging each other like i want to get into it but you just sort of you have to you know you only get 10 episodes Actors have particular schedules and are available for what they're available. You just do what you can. But there's always, first season and certainly second season, there's all this stuff on the table that we didn't get to do that maybe we do next season, maybe we'll be over it by then. Mm. There's always, even with the film, like, you know, that episode five that Barry directed really came out of this. It was an extended version of a scene that I had written for the film that just didn't make sense in the film. Um, And it became episode five. So there's always so much in the vault that we're like oh this would be so good Mm -hmm. oh i hope we get to do it (laughs) yeah is there any character who was in the original film who's sort of surprised you where they've ended up now the Um, most al Al is really exciting for reasons that no one has picked up on yet. Al, you know, for those who don't know, he's he's a light-skinned brother who's like, you know, he's part of uh, Black AF. <laughs> yeah, he's he, very kind of quirky. He's quirky. He's always kind of yelling and like yeah. mad about something. And this season, he's real fired up about the wrong thing <laughs> uh, or the right thing, depending on where you fall ideologically. Um, that's all I'm going to say. We've been planting things about Al that we've not explicitly said about what he's about, who he is. 
And uh, I really want to get into that at a certain point. But then there's characters like Brooke and Joelle who didn't even have names in the movie who are now, I mean, first of all, Courtney Sauls who plays Brooke and, and Ashley Blaine who plays Joelle, they're just brilliant actors that I've known for a while. I'm so happy that they get a chance to like be insane in our show mm-hmm. and be fabulous. Um, but I, I'm just glad I got to really flesh those people out. I especially appreciated the inclusion of a Hotep character. Oh, which... yeah, man. <laughs> that was... That's a wild community. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, if you're going to have this kind of show in this kind of setting, you have to have the the hotel has to be there. There's always there's one in every every black community. (laughs) There's one at my my predominantly uh, white school. (laughs) They're everywhere. Yeah, and it's like it's it's sort of like yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, what did you just say? It's mm-hmm. always like yeah. it's always like the fifth item on the on the hotel agenda. That's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and we need to form our own nation. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. I want um, healthcare though. Are we is it going to be healthcare in the new nation? <laughs> <laughs> so my my last question, which is a question I ask all of my guests uh, before they leave, is. Um, when is the last time you felt as though you saw yourself on screen? Oh, wow. And it cannot be anything that you were a part of. Uh, definitely get out. I mean, I was, first of all, I, I had been riding my own horror satire. So at first I was like, Jordan, how dare you beat me to it? Which is always the sign I'm going to love something, by the way, when I'm a little jealous. Yeah. Um, but I, there was this feeling of just giddiness that over and I knew the premise of the movie but like just seeing what he was saying and the way he was saying it like the scene where um Allison Williams is like negotiating with the cop and he's terrified and they never say what happened but we all know what just happened and and when he's walking around and the guy's shaking his hand like I would have voted for Obama again it was like he's saying these things omg these are things that we've all felt that we've all talked about and we've never said it like in this way like no one would ever make white people the villain in such a clear way and i i I wish as white people in the audience were figuring out what the movie was and as black i was just so giddy because i never thought i even needed to see that aspect of my experience in that way Uh, and before that for sure it was moonlight and again it's i i i I've been an awkward gay adolescent and and it never felt like a commercial thing to make a movie about. And here it is like that story. I'm so familiar. I never thought in a million years I would see a movie that was telling the truth about that experience the way I experienced it. And I I just sort of like, uh, again, it makes you feel human, you know? Oh, and and I got to say last one. Yeah, I know you asked me for one example, but here we go. That's all right. Uh, it, you know, uh, I'm not your Negro. Like, mm. man, I love it when black people encounter Baldwin because he literally said it all. And he said it perfectly. Mm. And he's not talked about in history enough. And he's not quoted enough. And he's not required reading enough. But nobody put it better, in my opinion. And I left that theater hot. And I knew everything he was talking about, but just like the way he put it. Like, yeah, I am the Indian in these movies. Like, what the hell? You know, mm-hmm. I felt so seen by this voice from the so-called past that just put it better than anyone was put has been putting it in present day. Um, so that would be my, my top three uh, just been seen list. <laughs> this is our first 360 represent because when we had Barry on, he said, oh, hey, white cool. In between Toronto and New York Film Festival, I ran back to L.A. to direct an episode of Dear White People. Uh, for, oh. Just, for Justin, oh, cool. uh, the Netflix series, 
and the work they're doing, holy shit. I mean, I've never felt more represented than I did being on that set. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Aww, that. Oh, Barry, that's sweet, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and we let you say Moonlight, even though we, we did put it last year. We had to put a moratorium on Moonlight. Oh, we're talking about every it too guest, much. <laughs> every guest was like, Moonlight, but it's been long enough now, right? But it's like, you know, I ain't really, there's, there has been any other black gay movies that came out, so I still got to go to that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Pariah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, I'm saying, but that's for light. yeah, and also, well, of course, well, a little different lesbian. By the way, D's lesbian horror movie. I can't wait. I know. Cannot wait. I know. Holy crap! I I will line up for anything I'm she does with her. Yeah, obsessed. So, I mean, this is guess to something that I kind of felt when I was seeing like who directed the first season and now mm. with the second is like it's almost like the black people meet up. Like, <laughs> the fact that y'all are working together gives me like it just makes me so happy. Oh well, I mean. Literally, like it, the collaborators for the show, it's like it's just playtime for me. Like, I get to, I'm telling you, it's something has changed in the water and the air. Like, we are not competing for the same spots, we're just not in that mindset. Like, there is no, there can only be one thing between me and Barry and Ryan and Ava. And it's just like, we love to just support each other and be involved in each other's stuff. I mean, we reference, you know, Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. And like, because uh, these are my friends. These are my partners. And when I get to work with them, it's so exciting and get to learn from them. You know, like the way Kevin and Sally hold down a set, I learned so much, you know. Um, and just people I'm fans of, I got to get them in the show. So like, you know, last year it was Shamir. This year is Todrick Hall and Kid Fury. And Lena Waithe. And, and of course, Lena Waithe. You know, first of all, we are both always fake mad at each other over this because... <laughs> <laughs> she's in the movie but like it's only like her back and the reason is because she refused to do any lines and I was like you are a personality my dear like it's gonna happen you might as well give it to me and she's like no I'm a writer and then of course it happens Master in Master of None, yeah. and so ever since then she's like sucker you gotta write me in, a, in to see the two I was like well sucker you need to be available okay <laughs> because you and Spielberg movies and AT&T commercials we need you so we basically <laughs> like I pitched her a few ideas of what I wanted her to do in the show and this one sort of you know playing <laughs> character P Ninny kind of worked out uh, with her schedule but also gave her like a nice little arc I thought so yeah. that was uh, just a delight and then of course we have cast members from the film uh, not to give anything away but there's some there's a lot of little surprises that I have kind of been working on for a while and I'm so glad we got to do it yeah yeah well, thank you so much, Justin. It was a pleasure. Sam, really a pleasure. And Dear White People is on Netflix. As of the time this comes out, it'll be out May yeah. 4th. And if you haven't seen it, you're you're racist, so. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Season two of Dear White People is now streaming on Netflix. Hit us up on our Facebook page, Slate Represent, to let us know whether you're digging it or not. I definitely did. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verlin Williams. Our social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. And our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time. 